Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. In 2017, there was a change in the U.S. tax law. And what it meant was that some of the the largest, richest companies, as well as the wealthiest individuals, got a huge tax break. Sounds great, doesn't it? Anybody like a tax break? Sure. The, uh, one, of the, one of the companies was Patagonia, which they develop outdoor wear. So if you, if you want to go skiing, if you, if you want to go camping, if you want to hike on mountains, one of the great companies that you probably want to get your equipment from is Patagonia. They got $10 million back, but they were a little uncomfortable with this because as they saw it, taxes are there to help people who are vulnerable in society, uh, to look after the environment, to take care of and pay for uh, first responders, those kinds of things. So they were a bit uncomfortable with this money coming back to them that they felt like this, is, this isn't right. So what they did was the next year they took that $10 million and they gave it to nonprofits and to environmental companies or, or entities. And, and this is not unusual for them. Uh, that was a specific thing, but they actually give, I think, 1% one, 1 of all the money that they bring in over a year uh, to these kinds of groups. So it wasn't sort of a you know, publicity stunt. They, they did it because it was what they're about. So as I was getting ready for this talk, I was looking for some examples of goodness, and you can find a lot. You know, people, people who give up their holidays, they give up their money, uh, they give up their resources for other people who, who are in need. And the question that came to me was, why? why? Why does this happen? What is the impulse in a human being that makes them generous or care about other people? And that's a pretty big question. It's a pretty complex question, actually. Because when you think about it, there, there are all kinds of, of people in the world who are very selfish, who commit terrible acts, and so what is it in, in the mass of humanity that, that moves people? What is that impulse towards goodness in human beings? I don't really know the answer to that question. I wish that I did. But some of it comes down to people's beliefs. What they believe, what they value. Sometimes people feel they have a responsibility. They have a, uh, this great place. They're, they're, they're blessed, if we want to use that language, even if they're not Christian, and they, and they think, I have a responsibility to do something, to give something back. And for sure, people do it because they have some empathy. Now, God, of course, has all of those things. He has his values. He has uh, 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 his beliefs. He has empathy for people. But, but more than that, he doesn't have to be trained to do that because it is who he is. There's that... that Statement, God is good. And that's a true statement. God is good. And as Mel said, I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago, she said, you know, that what comes out of God because he is good is goodness. It is the overflow of who he is. Now, uh, when this topic came up, Steve sent an email around to the pastors, said, we're going to talk about the goodness of God this, this next month. Uh, who would like to, to talk about this? So, I immediately thought, well, I, I want to do this. I have a couple of 
great texts in mind, and this is in my wheelhouse. You know, sometimes we talk about things and it's a bit like, well, I'd have to really work hard at that because it's, it's not my specialty. But I felt like, oh, the goodness of God, yeah, I, I can contribute here. And so I, I'm thinking, okay, I have Exodus 34, my favorite favorite verses, and I have Genesis 1 to 11, which, of course, is always going to be uh, something for me. And then, and then Mel emails me and said, hey, are you going to work on Exodus 34? Because I was thinking of that. I thought, oh, that's okay. I can be generous here because I have a whole other set of texts I could use. And, and so there it is. Yeah, go for it. And she did. She's, she's really good at that, actually, especially in that, that uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which um, talks about uh, God being gracious and compassionate. But then as I, as I was thinking about what I was supposed to do, I kept, I kept hearing this uh, line going around and around in my head. And it had to do with, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? And I realized, oh, darn. God, this isn't going to be so easy. You're telling me to do something different than I was planning on doing. But I was also kind of excited because I love it when God leads you someplace and uh, honestly, for me, uh, what I'm going to talk about, I, I probably wouldn't have talked about at all. Uh, but God kind of led me down this route to a spot where I, I wasn't planning on getting. And so I'm going to take you there as well. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 18. Why do you call me good? This is, uh, we often see this story as, uh, we call it the rich young ruler, uh, not all the texts exactly uh, or the parallels say that, but the rich young ruler. And this is found in Matthew 19. I'm going to refer to that a couple times. Mark 10, but especially from Luke 18. And most of you know this story. Jesus is walking along, and there is a, a young Jewish man. He's rich. He has some, uh, some measure of authority, probably in the synagogue. And he comes up to Jesus and he says essentially, hey, uh, what do I need to do to get through the pearly gates? Now, no, there's no such thing as pearly gates, really, but I'm just going to say that for now. So what do I need to do to, to, to make it? When I die, what do I, need to, you know, what do I need to do here to make sure that I make that transition well? And Jesus says, well, obey the, obey the Ten Commandments. And he says, oh, I've done all that. Yes, I'm in. But then Jesus says, well, give up your money and then follow me. Uh, the young man did not expect that. And he's very disappointed. And he goes away. And Jesus is also bummed out because he really likes this young man. What's not to like about him? He's a, he, he's a great young guy. And then there's this whole discussion about, uh, about who can make it. And, and Jesus says, well, you know, it's hard for the people who have it all to not be captured by it all. The disciples are a bit confused because in their, in their minds, and this is a kind of an Old Testament concept, at least half of it is, that, that, that people who have a lot and whose life is good, if it's successful, they're obviously favored by God. Well, if they're favored by God, then how... If it's difficult for them to make it into heaven, how can us ordinary plebs make it into heaven? Of course, Jesus straightens all of that, that uh, twisted theology out. But that's, the, the, that's kind of the setting. 
So we know this story, but there's some nuances that had escaped me. And I'd like to unpack this as we go along. So as we begin this story, listen to how it begins. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's nobody good except God alone. Now, we've read this many, many times. Many of us have anyway. So it loses some of the force of what's, of what's happening here. But really, this is, this is a, a little bit of a, it's unexpected. It's unexpected. Have you ever had the experience where you're having a conversation and, and, you, and you say this bit and somebody picks up the part that's not important and tries to pin you to the wall about that? You ever had that experience? And you think, no, dude, dude that's, not what I, that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about this thing here and you're just picking on this little bit over here that doesn't really matter. Now, I don't know what, what the motivation was when the young ruler said to Jesus, good teacher. Maybe he saw something about Jesus that he thought, well, this is really, maybe it's like God. Or, or maybe it was he was just trying to flatter, flatter Jesus. Oh, good teacher. You know, it was, probably just, it was probably just a throwaway line. It's certainly not the point of the question he asks. Because the point of the question he asks is, what, what do I have to do to, to get eternal life? But Jesus jumps in with this. There's nobody who's good. Why do, why do you call me good? You know, it's a little bit like um, slap in the face in a way. When I, was, I, I went to boarding school for two years. And um, one morning, I'm, I'm, in the, uh, I'm in the dining hall just minding my business I have this beautiful bowl of cereal full of milk. And a student comes in, walks up to me, and I'm thinking, oh, what? And he just tips my bowl into my lap. And I'm sitting there dripping with Cheerios and thinking, what? 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 Out of this? Why? Well, stunned. And that's a little bit what's happening here. Jesus is, is jumps on this part that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the question. The, the point probably is this. Jesus, in himself, is demonstrating the goodness of God. You know, Jesus is probably saying, you know, actually, you, when you called me good teacher, you were speaking better than you knew. I am the son of God. He doesn't say this, obviously, but the point is there. I am the son of God. And if you want to see the goodness of God, then you, you've seen it in me. So that's really kind of the first point I think it's worth taking away. And, and it's easy because we all know God is good and Jesus is God, and so that's all right. But I think we have to remember something, and that is that all of us, believers, unbelievers, at some point in our lives, we're all looking for something that matters. We're, we're, we're all looking for something that we can give our hearts to, that we can give our lives to, that we can sacrifice for, that we, can, that we can love something, somebody that is bigger than us, that is better than us, that is worthy 
of going beyond our selfish selves. That is worthy of finding meaning in. And some people find it, or think they find it, in political ideals, environmental causes, whatever. But it's really Jesus who is the only one who's worthy of all of our allegiance. He's the only one who really demonstrates the goodness of God, the thing we're all looking for. Um, Mel unpacked some of this. And, um, you know, last, I think last week, when she, she was talking about, you know, what, 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 was, what does goodness mean? Well, it, it means a whole host of things. It's a catch-all for, for being generous and being compassionate and being merciful and, and all of those kinds of things and more. So Jesus is the one who manifests the goodness of God, and in him we experience the goodness of God. Now, Jesus asked this question, why do you call me good? There's nobody that's good. Do you notice that, um, do you notice that, the, that the ruler doesn't answer that question? You know, if, if um, somebody asks you a question like that, well, why, why are you calling me this? You, you'd probably answer the question. But, but the ruler doesn't answer that question. And Jesus actually doesn't seem to care. He doesn't care that the ruler doesn't answer that question. He goes right on to, well, here, here's the answer to, to the real part of your question. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Jesus seems to skip from, the, 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 he seems to skip all the way through what he's saying down to this. He skips from, you know, uh, uh, the goodness here all the way down to the commandments. And in fact, there is a connection between goodness and the goodness of God and, and these commandments. It's not a random jump. He Actually, there's, it seems like there's a big jump, but there actually isn't because the, the, the commandments are a manifestation of the goodness of God. Matthew, who, uh, Matthew, Matthew catches this connection in Jesus, and he writes it. So he reframes in his telling of the story this way. He says, what good, good thing do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds with, don't do this and that and the other thing. He understands that there's a connection between God's goodness and his manifestation in the commandments. And in fact, he, he, uh, he adds to the end of the sentence, uh, Jesus' words from Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself, as a kind of encapsulating statement. So God's goodness is actually seen when we live out the commandments. When we live out the, 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 the statement of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to notice this, uh, not all the commandments are given here. Jesus doesn't say, um, you know, uh, love, love the Lord your God alone. He doesn't say, uh, you know, do the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. Don't make any idols. All that Jesus talks about are the ones that have to do with how we interact with each other. 
It's easy, in some ways, it's easy to, not easy. Where the rubber hits the road is often in how we interact with each other. Not just our theological presuppositions, although those things are vital, because if you don't have those, you actually don't live out the other parts very well. Yeah, we, some of you know this, but we're doing a culture revamp in terms of our staff. We've been looking at uh, how we do things, what we're doing, our vision, why we do what we do, etc. for a year and a half. And we have a, a seven, seven people on the culture working group. And it's, it's, it's actually really hard work sometimes. You go away and you're exhausted like, oh my word. We just spent so long reformulating three sentences. <laughs> Sounds terrible, doesn't it? But actually, the group is good. We, we've really grown together. We laugh sometimes. It's just a giggly time while we're working away. So it's, it, can, it can also be quite fun. But we had this sticking point where uh, there was some disagreement over what our core values were. So I'm a proponent of saying our core values are what we've always said our core values are, which are, you know, Father's love for us, uh, the transformation of the heart, uh, empowerment of the spirit, hearing God's voice. Those are the kinds of things I'm pushing for this. These are our ideological values. But Natalie Gingrich, who uh, used to work in operations here and is now our staff care uh, manager, she gave me some pushback. And she said, yeah, but you can't, you can't measure those things. You can't measure those things. But what we're really looking for is behavioral values. What are the things, how, how do we treat each other? We, those are the things that we need to, to really push because, again, that's where the rubber meets the road, how we interact with each other. This is what Jesus is going for here. And, and, and his point is this, that, that when we live out the commands of God towards one another, when we live out the love your neighbor as yourself, that is a, an actual tangible a demonstration of the goodness of God in our lives and in the lives of the world, the people around us. People, well, not everybody recognizes what that is, but many people do. And, and you know, that you, you, you kind of know that because one of the criticisms that come towards Christians, and sometimes it's justified and sometimes it's not, is, man, those people are hypocrites. They say this, but look at how they interacted over here. Well, sometimes that's true. It's a true criticism. And what that means is that how we interact with the people in our, in our, our world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, the places that we work and go to school, how we interact with them matters. And it may be that their picture of who God is, whether God is really good or not, or just some stern taskmaster in the sky, or a figment of our imagination, it comes through how we live and how we interact with the people around us. So we, we, want, to, we want to live this out. We, 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 we want to treat the people around us in such a way that they see the goodness of God. It's important. It's really important.
I mean, God has a lot of ways. We, we could spend probably months talking about all the different ways that God demonstrates his goodness in the world. You know, just the fact that we, we're here breathing, it's kind of God's goodness. The, the fact that we have the ability and have experienced love, beauty, kindness, is demonstrations of God's goodness but they're a little less tangible than actually how we treat other people. So in all the ways that we love our neighbors, we pour out God's goodness in the world. Now, I want to follow the train of thought here um, in, coming from chapter 18 of Luke, verse 18, all the way through into chapter 19. Because here what's, what happens is this. You have, first of all, this pericope, this, this text, this story, Jesus and the rich young ruler. After that, Jesus is going to talk about going to the cross. Then there's a story about a, a blind beggar on the road to, to Jericho that Jesus heals. Then you have the story of Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector, who gets turned on to Jesus. And then you have the story of the 10 minus, and that's kind of the end of this. And I want you to notice which is a surprise to me, all of these things have to do with money. All of them have to do with money. So there's a, an intentional contrast between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. This is the, Luke is the only place where the story of Zacchaeus is told, by the way. That's always kind of a flashing light for you, like, hey, pay attention. Okay, it's the, it's the only place. So you have Zacchaeus, excuse me, you have the rich young ruler who's everything that we like. This is a really nice guy. He does the stuff, but, but he, he can't let go, and he goes away sad. On the, con uh, the contrast over here with Zacchaeus is, here's a guy that we, yeah, we don't really like. Because he, he, he's seen as a traitor. He's a Jew collecting taxes for the Romans. Yeah, we don't like that. And on top of it, the, the regular practice is they're going to extort extra money. So your taxes are $5,000 this year. It, well, he's not going to say that. He's going to say the Romans are looking for you to pay $6,000. Why does he do that? Well, number one, because he has to get paid, and that's how he gets paid. But he's going to pad it a lot. He's extorting money that is above the taxes because... That's kind of how it works. So there is no sense in which we're going to like Zacchaeus. Now, now if we've grown up in church, we've sung the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little... Oh. Right? Anybody? Oh, wow, three of you. Guys, that's sad. Uh, anyway, here's Zacchaeus, not the guy you would expect. And what does he do? He does the exact thing that the rich young ruler should have done. He says, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to give back to anybody that I've wronged. I'm going to follow the Old Testament prescription for restitution, and I'm going to give back four or five times the amount that I took. And I'm going to give half of everything I have left over, or maybe even before, I'm going to give it to the poor because I just, I'm so pumped about Jesus. The other guy went away sad. This guy did not go away sad. He's over the top. Like, wow. 
Now, in between, you have this, this story of the blind beggar, and it's there not because, uh, because we need another story about Jesus healing blind people. He, he does a lot of that. It, it's there because it's symbolic of what is about to happen to Zacchaeus. Here's a man, he's blind, and he's holding out his, his, his bowl. He's taking money from people. Zacchaeus, he has to climb a tree to see Jesus. If I could say this, he's spiritually blind. He's the guy who takes money from people, and now he goes away, and he's happy. It's there as a symbol. Remember something, the Bible is not just a, a bunch of stories slapped together. It's fabulous literature. It's beautiful, brilliantly written, and there's a symbol, like here's something that's going to happen. Get ready for this. Boom, the story, Zacchaeus. Amazing. And then you have the story of the 10 minus. And this is actually very close to an actual historical story that, was to, that, that happened. A nobleman, he's rich. He wants to go away and become king. He wants to be proclaimed king. And, and so he, he, you know, you have to keep the business going. So he takes his 10 servants, he depends on them, gives them each about probably three months wages. Here you go. And the expectation is they're supposed to Invest that. They're supposed to invest it in something that will bring a return. They're supposed to put it into the business uh, equipment, etc., so that there is a return. The business flourishes while the nobleman is away. And you all probably know this story. Uh, they they send somebody sends a, a a bunch of them off to Rome, actually in reality, to contest this nobleman becoming king. When the nobleman gets back, he thinks, "How am I going to find out?" Who spoke against me? Well, the easy way is to figure out who did something with my money. And so as he goes along, he only picks three out of the 10. Did, what did you do with the, with the, the mina I gave you? Uh, I, I invested it. Oh, great. What did you do? Uh, I didn't really trust you. Don't really like you. Don't believe in you. I just, uh, I just put it away somewhere. Ah, okay. So you don't believe in me. Give me your money. Your money's gonna to go to one of these other faithful people. So it's, it's about how we use what we have. And now, in contrast to some of the other ways this story is told, like uh, I think it's in Matthew where it talks about talents, and that's easy for us because uh, you know, we have the, the term talent in English, but we, we generally mean what, what we're good at. So you can't, uh, I think it's appropriate to say to broaden it to say, you know, God's goodness is seen when we use whatever we have, our, our, our talents, our, our, our homes, our time, etc. I think it's appropriate to say that. So you can go there. But here it's a little bit harder to, to escape the fact that he's drilling down on the topic of money because we can't just easily make that, that leap. How we use our money is a demonstration of God's goodness. Now, you've probably never heard me talk about money or very seldom because I don't, I don't believe in pressuring people and I'm not trying to pressure anybody at this moment. I'm probably not all that great with money, actually. I sort of ignore it. As long as I have it, I ignore it, which is probably also not the best way to handle money. Thankfully, my wife doesn't treat it like that. Anybody relate? 
Thank you. What are we doing? What are we doing with our money? In what way are we using it for the good of the people around us to love our neighbors? In what way are we demonstrating with what we have, with the money that we have, the goodness of God in the world? It's significant. It's significant. How many of you remember Fresh Wind Youth Conference? Oh, it's classic. Uh, we haven't had it, obviously, for a year or so, but uh, we've had many, many years, every, every spring, uh, a youth conference. So literally thousands of teenagers will come and fill this auditorium. I'll sit on their blankets. They'll talk to one another. They'll pray. They'll praise. They'll cry. Uh, they will do all kinds of things. And, and it's teens. So, you know, after a day or two, it smells like a locker room in here. There's a reason it's called Fresh Wind <laughs> Conference. Uh, but but the but but one one of the uh, and it's it's an epic event, no doubt. But there was one year uh, where Andrew Gazaneo, the youth pastor, he and his team were leading it, and and you know they planned it, etc. And they decided that for a, a cause, you know, there's usually something that they that they headline, and the and the cause was to support a. a, a, a Children who didn't have anything. So it's a little bit, it wasn't, it wasn't world vision, but it was like that. We sponsor a child somewhere in the world, generally, not here, but somewhere. And I was so impressed because, uh, because uh, they themselves did this. I mean, many, some of them didn't really have jobs. Uh, often, you know how expensive it is to live in Toronto. Often they didn't have that much. And yet they, they found it within themselves as a team, as, as individuals, to start supporting and sponsoring uh, underprivileged children. I was so impressed and impacted by that. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about. I'm not saying rush out now and sponsor a child. But, but the, the larger question is, what, what, are we, what are we doing with the money that we have, because when we spend it to loving our neighbors, it is a demonstration, an actual tangible, impactful demonstration of the goodness of God in the world. We need to think about that. I, I wanna say kind of upfront at this point, I think this congregation is actually very, very generous. I'm, I, I have no qualms, no criticisms of all of us. Um, you know, I, I don't know all of the finances of this church and I'm glad that I don't. I did that once and I was not happy with myself. But from what I know, what I hear, what I see, I just think this congregation is amazing, actually, very generous. But I'm also aware that some of us have really never really thought about the fact that goodness of God is demonstrated through what we, how we give and what we give to. We've just never thought about it. 
Nobody's said anything to us. We, we've just never, ever made that connection. And sometimes we, we haven't been even in the habit of asking God what we should do with what we have. And probably most importantly, I think that after this season that we've been in, and we're not through the season yet, but it would be natural for us to have, um, w- to have withdrawn a little bit, tightened our purse strings, to have changed the patterns of our thinking and our, our normal patterns of thinking and our normal patterns of, of acting when it comes to being generous and, 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 our, and, our, and our giving to people around us. So I just want to ask the question this morning, in what way does God want you to spend your money to demonstrate his goodness in the world? What way does he want to do that? How does he want to impact the world through the money that you have? So if you can, why don't you stand up right now? You know, I didn't, I didn't really intend to get here when I started this whole topic. But I'm always really excited when God comes along and says, hey, you never saw this before, but I'm going to take you on a journey in, in my word that you didn't see coming. And you're going to end up in a destination you, 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 you hadn't planned on going to. I'm going to take you there. So I was very excited about, about all of this this morning. Most of us are like, money, please don't talk about money. That's not exciting at all. But it's always exciting when God takes you somewhere. Uh, because, because number one, he's, he's active in your life. That's important. And we all want him to be active in our lives. Um, and, 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 and when he takes us somewhere that we're not used to, it's, what, where we end up is generally better people. Better people. We see ourselves better. We, we become better people, and we end up having more trust in God. And that's where we're going to end up. I want you to just put your hand on your heart right now, and I want you to say after me, just follow me, God, in what way do you want me to spend my money so that your goodness can be seen by those around me? Now, I want you to just listen right now. Just listen to God. Let's see what he says. God might be saying, hey, you're doing okay. The love when you gave to this. But he also may be saying something like, hey, I have a specific idea for what I want you to do. 
And it may be that God wants you to give something that you don't have. But he's also willing to say, I'm going to provide that for you so that you can give it. My wife often tells the story of, of how we used to have this, this program, Faith Promise, and, and, and it went like this. What does God want you to give over and above what you give to church? What, do you, what does God want you to give? Okay, so that's what he said. Uh, now, start to pray. And, you know, our experience was that, that every single time we did that, God provided the money before we gave it. Out of the blue, things would come to us. And for some of you, that's the position you, need, you are in right now. I don't have any spare cent to give, but God does. So again, just let's, let's listen to this. We're going to put on some music for a little bit. Just listen and see what he says and take some action. just going to leave this music on for a bit and if you feel like hey I, I've got to go or if you feel like okay I heard something from God and, and, and I'm kind of, kind of done then we just release you right now if you need some prayer uh, there are people actually in the room here that you can go to over to the right hand side if you're online uh, just please just write into us. We have a whole a group taking care of prayer online. I just bless you. Bless you now to, to, in all the ways, pour out God's goodness into the world, into the people around us. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.